All right, so we have got a lot to cover today. Um, now, we have had quite an adventure through the book of Joshua. Today is our 58th message in the book of Joshua. We've been working our way all the way through. Um, this is the, the, uh, the, the taking of Canaan. This is the development of God's people. And what we're looking at and what we've been talking about, um, we got into chapter number 8. And what we've done is this message and this short little series we're doing is called Setting the Stage for Victory. And last week, part 1 was called Commissioned into Service. And here's where we were shifting from God's initial instructions to the people, actually to God developing and calling, commissioning his men. And we took note of the fact that in that calling, the first thing Joshua did was he united his people. He united his people. And it would be their unity as one body following their leader, Joshua, who had his eyes set on God. That would be the reason why they would succeed. And I need to, to, to implore us as a, as a body, as Christians, the more we realize that we're stronger together than we are divided the more impact we will have in the community around us. We need to work to work as one. And then we saw that God specifically called out uh, a group of men, kind of like his elite soldiers. These were the mighty men of valor. We might call them like the Navy SEALs. And these guys were called out, and they were given a special mission. They were sent on a clandestine mission by night to go and prepare themselves for the battle against AI. They were supposed to set up as an ambush in the distance. Then we looked at the fact that as these advanced forces would be sent out, now they were called to a specific job, but guess what? All of God's army was called to fight the same battle. They're supposed to face off against evil. We're all called to the same mission. We're all a part of of God's army. Some of us may be called to the mission field. Holly's here today. Holly, uh, Holly King, if she'll just raise her hand, raise, raise her hand, wave her hand, whatever that is. Whatever she just did worked out. Um, but Holly was in Malawi for eight years. That's where she and I met. And she served there for many, many years. So she could certainly be listed in that mighty men of valor category. But understand, we're all called to the mission that God's given us. If it's our mission field, which is here locally. But understand, each one of us is called. And because the reason, and as God calls us, recognize the fact that the reason why he calls us is because he knows we're capable. Right? God knows we're capable. If he calls you to a work, if he calls you to a person at work, and you feel compelled to speak to them, Instead of talking yourself out of it and going, this is all the reasons why I should not say anything to them. Because you know what? I got this and this and that. Instead of doing that, what if you just said, you know what? All right. I'll do it. You're compelling me. I'll go speak. And you'll be amazed when those doors are open before you, when you step through them, how you'll say, wow, I never dreamed. Because it's amazing. How many of us have ever had a conversation with somebody and scripture came to your mind when you did not know you knew it? And you're like, wow, thank you, Lord, because I was going to just blow that one out of the water. That was going to be terrible. But God met the need. Guess what? He knows we are capable. He sees our potential. God looks at us and he sees us for our potential. We look at ourselves and we go, I can't do that. And we think of all the reasons why we're not capable and yet God sees us for who we can be. And understand, he gives them, and what's cool with Joshua is we saw that he gave them insight into what was to come. Josh, God gave him insight into what they were going to face. And so what happened? Joshua gave them insight. And what was cool is the fact that we compare that to us. God's given us insight in what's to come. We know what's ahead. God has prepared us for the battle. He's given us insight into what's to come, but he also gives us insight not only into what's expected of us, but he also gives us insight into our enemy, into the tactics that he'll use against us. And the reason why this is important, because recognize when you're studying the Bible and you're learning about righteousness, you are also learning about unrighteousness, right? So as we're learning about the enemy, why it's important is because guess what? If you don't know your enemy, he will easily fool you. His subtlety will work in your life, and you won't even recognize it. The Bible says he can appear as an angel of light. That's beautiful. Can I just tell you, if you and I saw an angel of light right now, we'd be like, oh, 
Look at that. That is gorgeous. But yet, it's evil. Right? And so what happens? Devil can wrap himself up in all kinds of beautiful garments and put on all kinds of looks and wear suits and carry Bibles and preach heresy. Right out of the Bible. It's happening all over the city as we speak. Why does Peter warn us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober? Be sober means be very clear-minded, right? Nothing distracting you. And he says, be vigilant. Don't stop. Always pay attention. Why well, say before? Because your adversary, your adversary, who is your enemy, your enemy, as a roaring lion walketh to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. That's not a warning to the world. That's a warning to the church. That's to Christians. So if we don't know what to look for, guess what? We won't see it. So that's why it's important that we have this insight. And then, like God wrapped things up by really kind of explaining to them or laying out the path to victory, how they were going to be successful against their enemy. And today, before we get started, I want to give us a little bit of a a different perspective on what we're going to look at. Now, we certainly see that what's being represented in this battle with AI is, yes, God's enemies uh, that live in AI, they're facing off against God. But there's also something else being shown us here, which is AI representing something for us. It represents our flesh. It represents our flesh. And we see the army of God, which is going to represent the spirit. And so we see a battle between the flesh and the spirit. How many of us know that battle is real? Boom! Guess what? You're facing it as we speak, just trying to pay attention to what I'm saying. You're like, hmm, lunch today, honey. What do you think? I don't know. Oh, we're in church. Sorry. Quiet. Right? We're all doing it. We're all dealing with this. So as life, in the life of believers, as the flesh and the spirit are battling against each other, every born-again believer that we know is facing off against this. Now, the first time they went to AI, guess what? They were full of confidence. They were full of arrogance. They were full of self. And guess what? They got whopped, right? The flesh was victorious. But this time, they have been humbled. This time, they're going with confidence in God, confidence in God's word. And so as we go back here and we pick it back up with Joshua and his men, what's going to happen is now they're going to implement God's plan as we're setting the stage for victory part two. And this message is titled, Here They Come. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. Thank you for this uh, this place where we can gather, uh, Lord, as brothers and sisters, uh, Lord, as people that all come from different backgrounds, many of us broken in different ways and in different, uh, different times. And God, uh, I pray, Father, that this uh, would be a day that we would come together and uh, united, have ears to hear, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, give us what it is that we need. I have prayed earnestly over this message. I have studied. Uh, Lord, I've put in the work, and uh, God, I know that You've spoken to me, and I'm asking you to speak through me. Lord, that my wandering mind and my stumbling tongue would not get in the way, but, Lord, that you would take over. Uh, Lord, help the human element to be removed and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so today we are going to witness power restrained, peace maintained, God's army ordained, the battleground framed, and God's enemies inflamed. And that took me a long time to get all that to rhyme. It really, really, really did. I was like, synopsis, what do you, what do you call these things? What do you call Synonyms. I was like, I'm like, oh, reading my, something that sounds like it. Come on, something. I was like, oh. But anyway, it all worked out. It, and it makes sense, I promise. It really does. All right, so Joshua chapter 8, verses 9 through 14. Joshua therefore sent them forth, and they went to lie in ambush and abode between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. 
And Joshua rose up early in the morning and numbered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people, even the people of war that were with him, went up and drew nigh and came before the city and pitched on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men and set them to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, even all the host that was on the north of the city and their liars in wait on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. And it came to pass when the king of Ai saw it that they hasted and rose up early and the men of the city that Mendesini went out against, against Israel to battle, he and all his people at a time appointed before the plain, but he wist not that there were liars in ambush against him behind the city. And so we hear the series, so here we see the confrontation between God's people and his enemies getting closer and closer. They're preparing themselves for battle. And what we're doing is we understand the fact that they're going into this battle with knowledge from God about what's to come and about their enemies. So here they come with the wisdom of the Lord, with understanding from Him instead of their own perspective, which is what they did before. So we're going to see, first of all, power restrained. Verse number 9 says, Joshua therefore sent them forth and they went to lie in ambush and abode between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. So as a to exposing their strength as they did before, and they're gonna, they're literally going to, instead of advertising their strength, they're going to, to hide their strength. The mighty men of valor, the most powerful of the soldiers, they under the cover of night are gonna sneak to the backside of AI. And it will be in this area west of the city. Now understand, we think about kind of where this would be, and we're trying to relate this geographically. And I always like kind of have an idea of what's going on. We know that AI was was mainly a wooden structure. It really didn't exist in any other form. So when it was burned, it would have been basically eradicated. But there's the city Bethel that we see listed with it. And interestingly enough, God gives us that because Bethel had a lot of stone structures, and we know that it has actually been found. Bethel means the house of God. And so you see a map here to give you an idea of kind of where Bethel is. Here we go. So we have an idea of Jericho's here, Ai here, and we think Bethel. Bethel's there, so we believe Ai is just, just a little bit off to the side. So the mighty men of valor are on hold in the plains of Ai. So we see great power, right, being held back until the time is right. We see power restrained. And there's a biblical word for that. Meekness. Meekness. Power restrained. And so what happens many times when we hear the word meekness, we have an improper understanding of it. As a kid, I'd heard that word, and I didn't really know what it meant. I just thought it was like the kid that was in the corner. He's like, look at that mousy little guy. He must be meek, right? Because you imagine it means weakness. We imagine that it means inability, but that's not at all what it means. In actuality, it is talking about strength that is under control. It is being contained or held back. I am sorry for that. So the Lord Jesus Christ, he is, listen, all-powerful. All-powerful. Power over life, death, creation, destruction, everything. Omnipotent. He is the most powerful creature or, or being in existence. And yet he describes himself this way in Matthew eleven twenty nine: Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And what we see in the Lord's story as we learn about Him is that He kept His power and His authority under wraps. He kept it hidden, under control. Understand, when He was being taken captive in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the soldiers show up, and they all arrive, and Peter gets all full of himself and whips out his sword and goes, no, chops off a guy's ear. This is the way God responds. 
Thinkest thou, he says, listen to this. Now understand, he says, Matthew 26, 52. Then saith Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Meekness for Peter would have been able to keep that sword in its sheath. But no, he had to be Peter, which is many times us. Verse 53. Thinkest thou not that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Do you know a Roman legion is between 4,000 and 6,000 men? That's between 48,000 and 72,000 angels. He's saying, listen, Peter, that's what I could do, but I choose not to. You know why? For the sake of humanity, because the next verse he says this, but how? If I had done that, how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Peter, I could stop it at any moment. Do you not understand? I'm allowing it because there's a purpose to it. He's a perfect picture of meekness, of power restrained. And did you know that when you and I are in a situation that we don't switch into judgment over our brother when they fall, and we don't run them down, and we don't denigrate them, and we don't point out all their failures, which we could take the Bible, and we could by authority show them where they have failed. We could run them into the ground. We could draw it and say, look, this is how you failed God. But can I tell you that when we show mercy, that we model our Savior? Listen to what he says in John 8, 15. Ye judge after the flesh. I judge no man. You know what he's saying? Listen, there's no point in judging the flesh because all flesh is fallen. You guys want to judge people. You want to judge humanity. You want to judge their failures. Listen, that's not profitable because guess what? None of you guys are worthy. Recognize the fact that, listen, he's, what he's telling them, he's saying, look, I judge the soul. I judge the worth of the soul. And you have no business in that area. That's why he says, judge not lest ye be judged because, listen, you can find yourself slipping into whether someone's worthy of God and that is not our place. We can certainly judge sin. We can certainly judge if somebody's doing something wrong, but it's how we handle it. How we handle it. Do we put ourselves on a pedestal and think because because recognize the Christian life is this. You're going to have days where you're rocking it, man. You are walking with God. You're killing it. And you're going to have other days where man, you just just blow it. You just stink on ice, man. You're in your car going, "Man, I'm just such a loser. I can't believe it. Why did I get Why did I react that way? Why did I say that?" Right? Am I the only one? Okay, so we're all in the same boat. So, and what happens many times, see, when we're here, it's easy to go, did you just see what they did? Mm-mm-mm. Can you believe they would react that way? Unbelievable. Right? But what if we, what if we took you here? See, the problem is we forget here. We remember here. And we see ourselves here, but yet God says, you know what, I see you all of it. I see you here and I see you here, and guess what? You ain't worth it. None of you guys are worthwhile. Don't go busy getting busy judging one another, because guess what? None of you have a right to judge one another. And so we've got to get out of that mindset. We've got to always say, look, our desire isn't to judge someone. Our job is to restore that person, right? My job. Our job is to come alongside that person. If they fall into sin, yes, I can recognize their sin. And if they're unrepentant, you know what? I'm going to address it with them, but not for the purpose of hurting them, but for the purpose of drawing them to repentance, to restore them. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brethren, 
speaking to the church, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, you that are listening and following God, you that are walking in the Spirit, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. You have the power to judge him. You have the power to run him down. But I'm telling you, don't do it. Because, listen, consider thyself careful. Look at your own self, lest thou also be tempted. If you're not careful, you're going to switch into judgment. And guess what? You'll be in sin just like they are. So be careful of that truth. So we see power restrained as the mighty men of valor are are holding themselves back. But then next we'll see Joshua is going to reassure his forces through his presence as peace is maintained. Verse number 9, but Joshua lodged that night among the people. Now this lets us know that this is not a usual occurrence. Why otherwise would he tell us? If he sleeps there every night, then we wouldn't need to know. But he says this night he's going to lodge amongst them. So now imagine it from the perspective of the soldiers who are, they know they're getting ready to go to war. They know what's getting ready to happen. And guess what? They got whooped before, so there's probably a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation. Imagine the confidence of seeing Joshua walk through. And he's just like, boom, man, he's locked on. He's like, God's got this, guys. We got this, fellas. It's a victory already. We've already won. Imagine you'd be like, okay, Josh said we got this. We're on it, man. Okay, Josh, we're behind you, buddy. Let's make this thing happen. Now, imagine. So we think about that and we go, wow. How does God's presence impact the way that we feel? How does his presence in our life as we get close to him? How does it affect? Because guess what? We're all going into spiritual battle every day. And so how does his presence impact us? His strength. We gain from his strength. We don't depend upon ourselves. We learn how to depend upon him. And you might say in your life right now, hey, look, I don't, I don't feel God's presence. You know, and if we're honest, there are days that we don't. There are days that we feel isolated. There are days that we feel separated. There are days that we feel darkness kind of closing in on us. We feel overwhelmed by our circumstances. But understand, that's not God's intention for us. Not at all. God intends for us to feel His presence, for us to be strengthened by Him. So that's why He's always compelling us to holiness. This is an important point. Because the more we work on our holiness, the closer we get to God. And the closer we get to God, guess what? The greater our peace. Listen, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, giveth I unto you, but let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He goes to the two extremes. Here's peace and here's fear. Don't fall prey to this. Stay close to me and let my peace strengthen you. Let my peace give you the assurance that you need. And we have to ask ourselves every day, is the Lord Jesus Christ lodging with you? Is your peace maintained? As you prepare to go to war? Because I can promise you, The world does not want us to experience peace. If there's ever been fear in the world, boy, it's the tactic that's used on us every single day. God tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. So we certainly see pictured in the Lord Jesus Christ this presence bringing great comfort. But you know what also pictures? Believers that are surrendered to God, that are walking by faith, and the impact that their life has on those around them. Can I promise you, when you're holding on to the promises of God, when you're walking with God, that you encourage those that are looking to you? There are people around you that you may not even realize that are going through a tough time. And you know what? They're going to lean on your strength. They're going to lean on your strength. Because how many of us can think of times in our life when we were struggling in our faith, and it was the faith of someone else that we... 
we're able to gain from. Yeah. Their presence, their peace, their confidence when we were wavering gave us strength. And I'm just telling you, I, I'm your pastor, but listen, I go through the same garbage that you guys do. And I've got someone in my life. Sometimes I lean on her faith. Some days when you're broken, you get overwhelmed. And just to have someone in your life say, you know what? Hey, God's got this. Right? I call my pastor. And he's like, Dave, hey, remember. Remember what God said? Remember what he said here? Remember what he said here? Remember what he said here? Man, how wonderful it is to have good, strong Christians to bear our burdens because guess what? We're not always going to be strong. Every one of us is going to suffer. Romans 15 verses 1 through 3. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. We don't do it for our sake, but let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. We do it for them. Verse number 3. This is, he's our example. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. God does bear our burdens in our life. The burden of our sin, yes, but the burden of our daily life. And it's his strength that fortifies us. It's his strength when we're weak, when we're broken, when we're fearful. And can I tell you this, man, when our brother is broken because they've fallen into sin, as we read in Galatians 6.1, when they're in that moment, in that brokenness, and we don't judge them, we come alongside them, what does the Bible say next to do in verse number 2? Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Because you are meek, because you are submitted, because you're not judging, because you're loving them, you can then come alongside them and bear that burden with them. And so fulfill the law of Christ. God's expectation is that we would function as He does in the lives of others. The example we see in Joshua is Christ, but it's also an example that we're supposed to follow as well. Comforting those as they struggle. John 15, 12 says this, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. You want to know what your love should look like? Look at me. As I have loved you, as and like. Man, there's some of the most important words in the entire Bible because God's going to give you an example following those words. Love that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. Sacrificially. Right? Unconditionally. That's the love of God. And listen, we're not just supposed to meet the needs of people in the physical world. Yes, we do. Why are we sending a container to Malawi? Oh, man, because we want to meet the physical needs of the people. But guess what? There's a gospel-driven element of that. It's given in the name of Christ. It's, name, it's given so that they might hear who Jesus is. And so many times in this world, people need to understand that people care through physical means. But man, if we just take care of the physical, but we don't address the spiritual, boy, are we missing the boat. Boy, are we missing the boat. Extend their life on earth so that when they die, they go to hell. What if we extend their life on earth and we help them to love Jesus? That's the whole point of this deal. But we encourage them spiritually. We need to pray for one another. We need to bear one another's burdens. Because I can promise you, there is coming a day when, yes, you may be bearing the weight of your brother. You may be the encouragement to them. But there is coming a day when you will be the one experiencing that encouragement. Now, so we've seen in this preparation for the battle... 
power restrained and peace maintained. Next, Joshua mobilizes the forces as we'll see God's army ordained. Verse number 10. And Joshua rose up early in the morning and numbered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai and all the people, even the people of war that were with him. I put my microphone differently because I'm already hot. I knew I was going to get hot. My, my wife told me to adjust the air. I did for y'all's sake, but man, I am burned up. I'm just saying. All right. I'm, I'm out of control today. I'm so sorry. I'm just, whatever. All right. Bear with me. All right. So here, what do we see? We see a shift into, out of the explanations to actually to the battle ahead of what's going to actually happen. So now these men are going to be called into service. Joshua's literally counting them, meaning that he's going to individually address them. And we see, again, there's an interesting point, the fact that it says in the morning, it says Joshua rose up early. And we see this, and we've seen this time and time again, as we've seen Joshua referenced throughout Scripture. Now, we previously mentioned in other messages that there is a prophetic aspect of this. There's a prophetic message pointing to the Lord's return, to the Lord's return that He will in the future. Malachi, uh, Malachi chapter 4, verses 2, th- two and 3. I'm, I could give you a lot more, but we're just going to do this because I've done it in the past. Malachi 4, verses 2 through 3. Listen to this, referencing the Lord's return. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son, notice it's capital S-U-N, it's referencing Christ, the capital S-U-N of righteousness, arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. That means we will be provided for. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this. Referencing again the second coming of the Lord, saith the Lord of hosts. So there's a prophetic message, no doubt, in the confrontation here with AI, but I want us to see it also from another perspective. Because recognize it wasn't just Joshua that got up early. Notice that it was the elders and it was all the people. So they got up, being led by Joshua. They got up early in the morning. And when they got up early, their purpose was to follow him. And if we apply that example to our lives, remember that God's teaching multiple things always. Scripture is multiple teachings all going on simultaneously. So there's a historical teaching. We're learning about the history of what took place at AI. There's also a prophetic teaching going on, pointing to what's to come in God's return. Then there's also, at the same time, a devotional aspect of how it is this applies to our lives. So as we look at these three different aspects of kind of how it's working, recognize the fact that they're getting up early. And what it's pointing to is the fact that, listen, there is a spiritual battlefield that we're all supposed to be praying, preparing for every single day. So when we wake up in the morning, Do we start our day in preparation for the battle ahead? Because when you wake up, guess what? The battle's on. It's in our dreams. Who's ever had an oppressive dream and woke up from it feeling overwhelmed by that? And instantly, what do you do? Do you turn to the Lord? Do you turn to God in prayer? Do you turn to His Word? Is Joshua your Joshua? Is he the first one that you seek to hear from? Or is it the world? Do we turn on the news? Do we look on our phone? Because I can promise you, the world has plenty to say. Oh, my goodness. It can consume your time. It can consume your mind. Oh, it's got tons to say. But it doesn't mean anything. It's like going to the world for information is like going to a person who's a complete failure and getting advice on how to succeed. Right? They can have a lot to say. But how much of it is it profitable? Zero. Results speak, right? So listen to this. This is what God says about the wisdom of the world in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 18 through 21. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool. Let that stuff become foolishness that he may be wise. Wisdom is in God. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. 
Listen, the intellectual that convinces themselves that there is no God who goes to the world for their knowledge traps themselves in their own reasoning. They create a trap that they can't get out of. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which will not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The devil wants people to remain blind. And guess what? They kit their hook, line, and sinker, people buying the lie of the world. And what happens? The arrogance and self-importance that this develops in people, it blinds people to actual truth. They can't hear it. Verse 20. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. It means they're worthless. They don't mean anything. Therefore, let no man glory, let no man glory in men. We don't glory with the knowledge of humanity. That is worthless. We glory in God, for all things are yours. We must allow the Lord to be the one that we start our day with. We must allow Him to guide and direct our lives as we head into battle. Because every day, man, you're going to war. Because I can promise you, listen, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what your life, you are going to war today. You're in it as we speak Listen to how the Lord exhorts us in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, not in you, and in the power of His might. Make the Lord your focus. Allow Him to guide you. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able, may be able, to stand against the wiles of the devil. Prepare for battle. Listen, the enemy's crafty. He's skilled. He's motivated. But listen, spiritually, we need to be prepared for what's to come. Consider the next verse. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You are in a spiritual war. Every day, every day that we wake up, the battle begins. As the influence of evil, what does it try to do? It tries to draw us to sin. It tries to draw us and cater to our flesh. Our flesh is our weakness. It's our weakness. While at the same time, the Spirit is drawing us to righteousness. God's drawing us to righteousness. And so listen, and if you, if you struggle with whether or not you're saved or not, and you go, I don't know where I stand with God, can I remind you of the fact that, listen, if you're a child of God, you have the Spirit of God that dwells within you, guess what that Spirit does? It has love, joy, peace, long-suffering, joy. All the fruit of the Spirit, right, it's all in there. And it's desperate to come out. God wants to use our lives, so the Spirit is within us. But if I live my life trying to constantly hold down the wickedness that's in my heart and the, the evil that wants to come out, but I've got to be a Christian, so I'm supposed to be a good person. I've got to look the part. I've got to act the part. I've got to smile when I want to strike them. There's a problem. Yeah. Now, if you have the Spirit of God within you that desires to do right, but your flesh is getting in the way, and you're frustrated by the fact that you're like, man, you know, I should have said this, but I didn't. You know, I shouldn't be mad, but I'm really ticked off and you struggle with that, well, guess what? There's an indication of salvation. Because you know what? The flesh is always going to battle with the Spirit. Always. But if you're having to push down evil and force good, instead of realizing that evil is forcing down the good in your heart, listen, make sure you know Christ. It's very important. Because this battle is real. And every day when you wake up, you're going to experience it. The Spirit's trying to come out. The Spirit's trying to show that love. And your flesh will go, shut up! And then your spirit goes, oh man, why did you say that? And you're like, I don't know because I'm terrible. And you know what? 
when you go to Hebrews chapter number 12, what does it talk about? He says, those that suffer not chastening, you know why they don't suffer chastening? Because they're bastards and not sons. The conviction that you feel from doing wrong is an indication that you are walking with God, that you are a child of God. Understand here. So again, as we see this, the more that you and I surrender to the Spirit, the more the image of Christ that's a part of us, the more that Spirit that's in us, the more clearly that image becomes. The more we surrender to our flesh, the more difficult it is to see. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are His workmanship, because recognize not only are they being ordained to the army, so are we. And this is what we're ordained to. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are ordained to do the good works of God for our life, to express and show the image of Christ in us. And the battle is trying to get the flesh out of the way. It's always going to want to be there. And until we leave this earth, the flesh is going to be a problem. When you leave here, thank God you get to leave the flesh behind. They take that flesh suit, they stick it in a box, and boom, you're done. Praise God. So, as our lives are to display godliness. So we have seen power restrained. We've seen peace maintained. We've seen God's army ordained. Next, we'll see the battleground framed. Verse 11 went up and drew nigh and came before the city and pitched on the north side of Ai. North, there was a valley between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men and set them to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. So he's sending additional troops to go. So God's forces are rallying to the north. The main force is there to the north. And what's interesting is in Scripture is the north is associated with the dwelling of God. Listen to this in Psalm 48:2. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, the dwelling of God, on the side of the north, the city of the great king. Notice, notice capitalized king. That's pointing to God. In Satan, when Satan is addressing, when God's addressing Satan's five I wills, I will, I will, I will, right? When he's rebelling against God, notice what he says here. For thou hast said in thine, this is Isaiah 14, verses 13 through 14. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. Where? In the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And so Joshua gathers himself, the elders, and the bulk of his forces to the north. And what it's telling us as they're getting ready to take this, do this undertaking is that God is with this. This is directed by him, directed by God, confronting the enemy, the opposition to God's authority. And when you and I go and face off against our flesh, can I tell you this, that it is authorized by God himself to do so? As a child of God, listen, we're called to oppose the flesh. We're called to oppose the lustful and the carnal desires of our flesh. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Listen, so verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against, lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They are enemies, and these are contrary the one to the other. And because they're contrary, the things God's trying to call us to do, guess what? so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. That battle that's taking place within you makes you inoperative. It makes you ineffective. You've got to surrender to one or the other. Be hot or be cold. You're going to live in your flesh? Live in your flesh. Go live in the world. Destroy yourself. Let the devil teach you some lessons about destruction. And God will restore you when you come back. Or this, man, surrender to the Spirit. Let God use your life for His great glory and change not only your life, but the people's lives around you. God can use you 
to do great and mighty things. Because recognize, when we surrender to our flesh, it leads to sin, which leads to spiritual defeat. We saw before. The Israelites know what it feels like to be defeated. They have been there. They know exactly what it feels like to be hopeless and broken and discouraged and despondent. And can I tell you that if you have fallen prey to sin as a Christian and the flesh has gotten the victory and you've been defeated, you know exactly, exactly what they feel. You can recognize it completely. And so what happens? We'd recognize this and we go, okay. So what do we do? We are rally ourselves, not being led by our own devices, but being led by God. And you can only imagine the different perspective they would have had going into this battle. Okay? The first time, they were defeated because they went in full of self. This time, they're going in humble before God, and they're trusting. They're doing this in God's name. So they're going with a great sense of confidence. And when you and I face our flesh, not in us, not in our personal strength, not in our personal will, but we face our flesh in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God, it changes the fight. You're not so easily defeated. You're not so easily fooled. You're not so easily tripped up. Amen. The Spirit of God gives you a discernment to recognize the flesh when the devil comes against you, man, you see it. And you're able to call upon God to fight the battles that you don't need to be fighting. Amen. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Don't fight the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. Listen, you're in a fight. You're in a fight. You're in a fight. And if you don't believe that and you don't recognize it, you are being played more than I can possibly explain to you. Amen. You are blind to what's taking place in your life and what you're supposed to be and who God's supposed to use you or wants to use you to be is being wasted. Listen, the enemy is strong, yes, but he's not all-powerful. And he doesn't know everything. We saw last week, right? It was his ignorance of God's plan for salvation that allowed him to realize that once he had followed through with the crucifixion of Christ, which was fulfilling what had to happen... He said in the Bible, it says, look, if he'd have known it, he never would have let that happen. He didn't know this was going to take place. But we recognize the fact that, listen, God is setting the stage for victory. He's setting the stage for victory. And in doing so, we picture ourselves in these Israelites. First of all, as we live our Christian lives in meekness, displaying power restrained, we keep close to our Savior's side, which is reflected in our peace maintained. We're understanding the command to holiness. As we respond as a part of God's army ordained, recognize the war within ourselves. We see the, the battleground framed. And then lastly, we see the results of this preparation, of our surrender to our Savior, is God's enemies inflamed. Verse 13. And Joshua went that night in the midst of the valley. And it came to pass when the king of Ai saw it that he hasted and rose up early. And the men of the city went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people, at a time appointed before the plain that, but he wist not that there were liars in ambush against him behind the city. Did you notice what inflames them? Do you notice what enrages them? It's not the forces. It's Joshua. It says, Joshua went that night in the midst of the valley, and when they saw it, Joshua, they saw him. Do you know why the devil comes after us? Do you know why he wants to lure us in the flesh and to destroy our testimony? Listen, it's not just simply because he hates us. We really don't mean anything. We're inconsequential. We're just nothing. He doesn't care about us. It's because of whose we are. Right. It's his desire to hurt God. Yes. That's why he hurts us. As a parent, 
You can attack me, man. All day long. All day long. And it'll hurt, yeah, but it's not that bad. But will you hurt my kids? Oh, it's on now. <laughs> it's on. <laughs> That's a different kind of hurt. And God knows, or the devil knows how much God loves us. And it's because of that intense love that he attacks humanity. Preying upon the weakness of our flesh. Luring us into sin. Because you know what that does? It strikes at the heart of God. And that's what he wants. He hates us not for who we are, but whose we are. Listen to the preparation that the Lord gives the disciples in Matthew 24, verse 9. He says this, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations. Why? For my name's sake. Luke 6, 22, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil. Why? For the Son of Man's sake. John 15, 18, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And because of that, therefore the world hateth you. Listen to how John phrases it to us as the church. John, 1 John 3, 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. You know what inflames our enemy with hatred and rage is our identity in Christ. That's why. That's why we of the world. He didn't hate us. He'd treat us like, like his kids, because we would be. But what inflames our flesh is our surrender to the spirit that dwells within us. As we surrender to God, the flesh gets inflamed. Remember, the flesh and the spirit are mortal enemies. The flesh hates God. And you know why the flesh hates God? Because you know what God says about the flesh? Deny it. That flesh has needs and desires. Deny them. And you know what I think of that flesh, Christian? You need to mortify it. Kill it. So the flesh hates. Hates God. And so right now we're in a war. Right now we're in a battle as we speak. And though the enemy is strong, man, and he may be, then maybe it seems stronger than he's ever been. And our flesh may be stronger than it's ever been the way our culture looks right now. But God is stronger. And God has a purpose and a plan for even these days. The question is, when it comes to the battle between our flesh and our spirit, are we meek? Are we submitted? Are we holy? Are we following our Joshua? Because I can promise you that the battle is raging even as we speak. As you sit in these chairs, your flesh is not happy. When you bow your knee to God, your flesh is not happy. When you open the Word of God and you earnestly seek it. Now, the flesh is happy when you just read it cursory and you don't get anything out of it. Well, it loves that. You're like, ah, okay, page, yeah, done. The flesh is like, yes, they got nothing from it. But when you really seek and you find yourself in tears, Praying and crying through your Bible. The flesh is inflamed because it's losing ground. 
And every day, we're fighting a good fight. We're fighting a good fight. The flesh, man, it is strong in many people. But it doesn't have to be. Joshua 8, verses 9 through 14, show us that the enemy is coming. Right? He's coming. We walk in the Spirit and have victory through the power of Christ. Or will we allow the flesh to overrun us? The battle is real. And we better be ready. Because they, here they come. Every day, here they come. Next week, we're going to learn about how to fight it. We're going to not run. Maybe for a minute we will. But then we're going to turn. And we'll see God bring the victory. Listen, the fight is real. Remind yourself of it every day. Live surrendered. Be submitted. Be meek. Be kind. Be loving. Let the fruit of the Spirit shine out of your life. Address the flesh. Recognize it for what it is. Don't feed into it. The Bible says don't give place to the devil. Don't give him authority. Don't give him license in your life. When you submit to the flesh, it will draw you to destruction and it will only leave regrets. But when you submit to the Spirit, not only does your life glorify God, but your representation of Him is so beautiful. And that peace that God gives becomes yours. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the word you've given us, uh, for the examples we see in Scripture, Father, for the work, uh, Lord, that uh, I know you've done in my own heart. And uh, with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, listen, if you're here today and you say, look, <clears throat> the fight, I know it's real. I'm, I'm battling it hard right now. I have good days and I have bad days. Pastor, will you pray for me that I'll have victory? Just lift your hands. Say, look, you know, pray for me. I want to pray for you. You say, look, you know what? I'm fighting the fight. Amen. Amen. Look, I'm, I'm serious. If you're fighting the fight and you're really and you're honest and you're serious and you want me to pray for you, I will pray for you. Just lift it up and say, that's me. Amen. 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 And if you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I even stand with God. I'm not sure. I don't know that I'm even a child of God. Guys, 20 years ago, someone asked me if I knew for sure I was on my way to heaven, and I just said, I hope so. If you don't know, because there's never been a time in your life when you truly just surrendered, you just said, you know what? God, I need you. If you have that time, praise God, you're a child of the King. But if you don't, and you know in your heart right now, you feel this unrest, this fear. As God calls out to you, all you have to do is surrender. If you're watching this recorded, you're watching it online. As God calls you, all you have to do is respond. If you've already responded in the past, then praise Him. But if you never have, and you know you're honestly saying, you know what, I don't know, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to pray for all of those that are struggling. And we're going to pray for those that don't know you. Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters that raise their hands all over this room. And God, I just thank you so much for their honesty. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that they're willing to recognize that they are in the fight. And Lord, I do pray that you will fortify them. Lord, uh, through your presence, through your strength, God, that you help them to be humble, to be meek. Uh, Lord, to be close to you, Father, to, uh, to be holy, and that you'd use their lives for your glory. And for those today that say that they don't know Christ, they're seeking you. And God, I know you're calling their hearts. 
with their heads bowed and eyes closed, if they want to receive Christ as Savior, I'm going to reach out. Uh, Lord, I'm going to pray for them. But Lord, I know also that uh, they need to call out to you themselves. So Lord, I pray that you would just draw them. If you're here today and you say, I do not know Christ, but you want to receive him, I'm going to lead you in prayer. It will not be the words of the prayer that will save you. There's no magic in words, but it's the intention behind it. It's your heart. As God calls you, all you have to do is respond. You understand you do not know Christ. You know you're a sinner. You understand that you need a Savior. And you trust and believe that Jesus is that Savior. So the heads bowed and eyes closed. Repeat after me if you want to receive Him as your Savior. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a, I'm a sinner. And I'm so sorry for the way that I've failed you, myself, and those that love me. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and to give me a home in heaven. Lord, I trust you, and I thank you for saving my soul. I pray you help me to live for you as I go forward in the battle for the lives of the people around me. Help me, Lord, to surrender. Help me, Lord, to walk in the light of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray.